0: Son. to be with you, why don't you go ahead and stand to your feet for the reading of the word. If you're a guest with us this morning, my name is Daniel, one of the pastors on staff, and these are the moments where we we come around the scriptures, we come together to learn more about who God is, who Jesus is, and how are we called to respond to the saving message of Jesus Christ. We believe that the word of God is relevant for us today, and this is why we share in these moments together. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 2. In a series called Defiant Joy, we're gonna be lending into this conversation today, looking at this second chapter of Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. Let's begin to read this together in verse one. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, by being born in the likeness of men, Come around your word. And Lord, we ask that it would would go deep into our hearts and our souls today. Lord, all the distractions in the room right now, all the things that we're thinking about, all the, the feelings that we might have, the emotions that are rising to the surface, even as we listen to the biblical narrative, would you be with us? Would you limit distraction? Would your spirit be close to us in these times? In your precious and your holy name we pray. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Since January 1st, I've been reading a children's Bible with my daughter. It's one I got in Israel a few years back, and we're kind of working through the Old Testament. We're going through all the stories that I grew up reading. And last week, we kind of made our way into the New Testament, beginning to see the life and the work of Jesus. And uh, do you remember that story in the Scriptures where Jesus and his mother Mary... Joseph they go to Jerusalem and then Jesus goes to the temple and then Mary and Joseph go home and they forget to take Jesus with them and they kind of they lose him for a little bit I start sharing that story and instantly my daughter goes "Oh, oh I know this one and she does this cute little thing that I think she learned in Calvary Kids she says why were you searching for me didn't you know I had to be in my father's house I was like that's the cutest thing ever do it again so I can record it that was awesome and then we continued on in our reading and we got to the story of Zacchaeus. You all know the story of Zacchaeus, right? The, there's another song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, remember that story? And so I start talking about the story, we start reading it and instantly she goes, oh, I know this one. Yeah, Zacchaeus, he was smaller than a baby. <laughs> well, <laughs> not quite, but we'll, we'll fix that later on. But yeah, he was you know, a little shorter, but not as small as a baby, sweetheart, but that's okay. We'll, we'll work out that you know, later on in your, in your life. And then on Thursday night, we got to the crucifixion and uh, the imagery. And again, it's a kid's Bible, so it's, you know, very family safe. But it's a picture of Jesus on the cross, and then next to him is his mother, Mary. And my daughter looked at me, and she asked a question. She said, Daddy, where is Mary now? I said, you know what, sweetie? She's actually with Jesus. And guess what? One day you are going to get to meet both of them. And she said, That is so exciting. You know, in that moment, as I heard her say, That is so exciting, I thought to myself, Am I still that excited? I mean, have I taken time to even just to reflect on that reality that one day I will get to meet Jesus, I will get to meet Mary, I will get to meet these heroes of the faith, I will get to have conversations with them. I mean, that, that should captivate me today. I mean, just the story of Jesus, to look at the scriptures, to see who he was, to see what he did, to understand what we have because of what he accomplished, this should be something that we as a church are constantly reflecting on. And the reality is it is essential for us to reflect on these things. Because oftentimes our reflection on the things of Jesus lay the foundation for which we are then able to step into the life that Jesus has called us to. See, I pray to God that my daughter would be captivated by these stories. Because as one author would say, the stories that you live in are the stories that you live out. And if we can be captivated by the person of Jesus, the biblical narrative, the stories, representing who he is and what he did on our behalf, that is going again to lay the groundwork, the framework for our ability to step into all that he has called us to. And the Apostle Paul understands that reality. Oftentimes in Paul's letters, you see this this framework that he uses. He'll always lead the, the reader to reflection reflecting on the things of Jesus, reflecting on what we have in Christ. And then after reflection, he'll begin to speak about your proper response to that. Now the way you could say it is, okay, let's talk about doctrine, let's understand what we believe, and then let's talk about the duty. Then let's talk about the behavior that is attached to that belief. And we see, again, him using this in the text that we read today he begins this charge that eventually is gonna land to this charge of unity and humility. He first goes after their heart and wanting them to reflect. He says these words, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection, any sympathy, Now, if you go to the original language, it's probably better for us to read it as this. Since there is encouragement in Christ, and since there is comfort from love, since there is participation in the Spirit, since we have experienced affection and sympathy from God through Christ, that must be the foundation and the framework, the the groundwork for what I'm going about to ask you to do. You need to reflect on this before I call you to that. Reflect on what we have in Christ Jesus, the justification that we have through Christ's death and burial and resurrection. The great comfort that we have in the love that God has bestowed upon us, a love that is not just in word, but it is indeed in the sending of his son. That we who profess faith in Christ, we have this beautiful relationship with the indwelling spirit of God and there is deep affection that we can have even in the midst of difficulty. A profound sympathy that we even can experience in the here and now based upon what we have in the spirit of God. So reflect on these things before I then call you to what is next. Now the next verse, the first three words are very interesting. He says, complete my joy. It's interesting that the apostle Paul believes that there is some type of a communal aspect in his understanding of joy. That his desire for complete joy is not reliant solely on his own individual circumstances, but it is, catch this, matured, and it has moved on to include a communal reality. Defiant joy is not determined by individual circumstance. In fact, it refuses to be determined by individual circumstance. And what this allows is an expanding of the possibility for joy. See, complete joy, at least for Paul, is more than fulfilled circumstance. It's about a faithful people. But faithful to what? So he uses the word complete my joy and then he begins to say, what what must they do? What must they be faithful to to complete his joy? Well, he communicates two things. The first one he talks about unity, something really easy. That was a joke, you guys are, okay, wake up. He talks about unity, being of what in verse two? Being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. Now, the first word he uses there, same mind, it is a Greek word, phreneo. It's the idea of forming and holding a belief. So we need to understand and note that Christian unity is first and foremost a mental harmony around core beliefs. There does need to be a shared understanding of the essential tenets of the Christian faith. We do have to begin to parse through and realize that there are essential realities to the Christian faith that we need to not only hold on to, but cling to. But then we also know that there's these kind of these secondary issues that we in different denominations like to bicker and fight over which makes unity in belief quite difficult, but it is something that we are called to, something that we have to process with one another. He goes on to say the term same love. This speaks about the idea of a moral unity in the sense of a deep love for one another. Love being a key marker for those who follow the way of Jesus. You probably remember the words that Christ said, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you do what? If you love one another. And then he says, a full mind, or sorry, a full accord and one mind. This could be described as a missional unity, a togetherness that is focused on a singular object, that being Christ, and the same purpose, that being the mission of Christ in the world. And so, what we could say about Christian unity is that it's defined this way it is a loving community who share essential beliefs and a primary mission. Now, that is very easy to say, way more difficult to live out. But he's not even done with the challenges he's going to ask them to step into. So it's not just unity that would complete his joy. He then says this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. It's not simply a call to unity, it's also a call to humility. The author David Brooks has a great line when he talks about humility. He says that humility is not low self-esteem, it is low self-occupation. And what is fascinating for us is that when we read these items in 2023, they're not shocking to us, challenging, yes, But these are things that we probably hear and we do hear in our society all of the time. I mean, the idea that ambition is best when it is aimed beyond just your personal benefit, that's not a new idea, I think, in our culture. Many people, Christian or not, would probably agree with that. Or striving to count others more significant than yourself, that's a good thing. I think a lot of people would say that. Even we should limit exclusive self-interest and include the interest of others. Again, these attributes understood in our society would probably be deemed as things that would lead to a flourishing society. But we have to realize that contextually for the readers of this letter in 60 AD or 62 AD, depending upon who you're reading, this would be a, fascinating thing to ask them to step into living in a greco-roman world humility was not considered a virtue it was considered a vice the greco-roman world was an honor shame type of culture where status was everything so it was deemed despicable to even think about submitting your interest to another that type of submission would be considered deeply cowardly So for Paul to call this church to live in unity, to live in humility, this type of way, it was to live a subversive type of life. In fact, really what it is, it's an invitation to live out an alternative story to the stories that are around. And what we need to begin to realize this morning is that this call to unity, this call to humility, it is not just for the church in the first century, it is a call to us today. That we too are called to be a a church striving and moving into and towards unity. That we as individuals need to understand and to capture God's vision for what it would mean to live a humble life. Now the challenge for the Philippian church is different from ours. Because again, they lived in a society that would have pressed so against these ideas. What's interesting for us in our day is that the idea of The importance of unity, I mean, that's kind of openly discussed in our society. Again, I mean, the idea of of being humble and thinking about other people, whether we do it or not is irrelevant, we do talk about it a lot, but I think the issue for us is that we have become way too content with these two realities becoming just an ideal. We've almost gotten to a place in our society where it's just good enough to talk about it. Talking about it seems sufficient enough. Tweeting about the importance of unity seems to be just enough to seem acceptable. I mean I just I think about every new president who's come in and the speech that they give, it's like the speechwriter has a quota for how many times they should say unity, right? Like thirteen times in some form or another. And we read these, you know, we hear the speech and yeah, unity is important. I'm gonna do what I can to bring people together. In our heads, we go, yeah, that sounds really good, but practically that seems like a near impossibility. And the unfortunate part is that we're not much better in the church. I mean, we're good about talking about unity We're good about talking about humility. You all have seen the person on Instagram who's taken the picture of the beach and then their caption is Romans 14, 19. So then let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. And then the sad part is that very same person is causing division in their local church and they haven't thought about anybody's interests but their own in years, yet they somehow feel validated that they're following the way of Jesus because they have somehow been able to articulate that they value unity or that they value humility. But the charge for us as the church is never just to be able to simply articulate the reality about God, but it's to live our lives in a, a sacrificial embodiment of this vision. So we do need to begin to process and to navigate what are the great hindrances toward humility and division? I mean, I think we could say things like immaturity will hinder, insecurity will hinder, need for control will hinder, and there's, I mean, we can make a, a great long list, but I would say maybe the most important thing that we should navigate is what C.S. Lewis calls the great sin, and that is pride. In mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis would say this, the essential vice, the utmost evil is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all of that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. What pride does, it's an attitude that inflates self and puts self in a more important position than even God. Pride is the lifeblood of a sinful society that bends us towards division and selfish ambition. And the Bible makes so many warnings about pride. Pride. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. Proverbs eleven two. The Lord detests all the proud of heart. But be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. Proverbs sixteen five. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs sixteen eighteen. And then Peter would say this: All of you, clothe yourself with humility toward one another. Because God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. So how do we deal with pride? Because whether we will admit it or not, every one of us, this is a struggle in one way or another. And oftentimes I think like most things in the scriptures, when we begin to read God's vision for what life ought to look like, we first have to go through a process of examination. This realization of where in my life do I see this, this issue of pride raising up? And so we examine that, and then once upon realizing these real areas in life that are being affected, we then do what? Well, then there needs to become the experience of conviction. Now, conviction does not feel good. In fact, we usually try to to move around it. But it's very important to actually sit in the conviction, to feel the conviction. And where conviction should lead us to is repentance. Repentance is the idea of, of turning away from something. Repentance is something that we do not just do one time when we receive the free gift of salvation, we actually walk in a practice of repentance. Because as believers in the way of Jesus, we should constantly be seeing the aspects of our lives that do not align with the way of Christ, examine them, realize them, experience conviction about them, repent from them, and do the turning away process. So we turn away from it then, but what is next? And I think we get a beautiful hint in verse five when we get back to our main text. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In the book of Philippians, joy or its cousin rejoice is used 18 times. But another word that is used, not as much, but similarly, is the word mind. 10 times in the book of Philippians, you see Paul reference the idea of mind. The uh, the believer's mind is a a common theme in the writing of Paul. Many of you know Romans chapter 12, verses two. Do not be conformed to the patterns of the world, but do what? Be renewed by the transformed mind. We're transformed by the renewing of our mind. Or maybe Colossians 3, two. Set your mind on things above, not unearthing things. So in the next few verses, the Apostle Paul wants us to lean into this idea of the reality of Christ's mind. And he tells us to have this mind, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now, verses six through 11, many scholars believe that this would be um, a hymn that the church would have known. So potentially, Paul did not write these verses, but it was a hymn that the church would have known, so he kind of imported it into his letter. Let's read it one more time together. They call it the Christ hymn, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, by being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, before we start to talk about the mind of Christ, we need to make sure there's a few distinctions made. See, Jesus did not give up his deity when he came down to earth, but he did restrain himself. Jesus emptied himself of status so that he could become a servant of all. Jesus abandoned his rights in order to give us the opportunity to be in right relationship with God. And in this hymn, we begin to see the framework for the the mindset of the kingdom. I think first and foremost, we see that Jesus is the example of a mind secured. Jesus knew who he was. His identity was secured. He knew his mission. He knew his purpose. He was focused. He was centered. He was walking after what he knew was in his heart from God to do. And the reality is for us as the church today, we also need to have that same mind, a mind that is secured in our identity. Listen, if you do not have an identity secured in what God has said about you, I promise you the culture around us will cultivate a fascinating identity for you. If you do not know who God says you are, if you do not know what you have on offer in Christ Jesus, I promise you, you will find another identity to pick up on. But the beauty about the identity that Jesus gives us, it's actually an identity that we just simply have to receive. And then also reflect and to ponder and to hold onto. So he is the example of a mind secured. Also, he's the example of a mind surrendered to service. I'm reminded of this as we just, you know, read with my kids a couple nights ago when Jesus is washing his disciples' feet. He did not have to do that, but he wanted to set out the example I will lay my own right aside so that I can better showcase you the reality of the kingdom. I think also an example of a mind submitted to sacrifice. All of our favorite words all together, submitted, surrender, sacrifice. But that's the call of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God looks different than the world around us. The kingdom of God is going to have different characteristics than the world around us one of humble submission, one of love, one of a a mental unity around the reality of what God says about the human experience. And it's gonna be a fight to do so. But as Paul said, have this mind, it is yours in Christ Jesus. Step into this. This is going to be the reality. See, we have to realize that Jesus does more than just show us an example He is also our empowerment, and in his power we can follow the example. You will not be able to do this in your own strength. It is not possible. But through the empowering of the Spirit of God in us who profess faith in Christ, we will have the power to do so. We must be reminded this morning that Jesus never calls us to any certain thing without opening first a way through his empowering presence. So in his power, have the mind of Christ. In his power, have your mind be secured in your identity and your purpose as a Christ follower. Surrendered to service, submitted to sacrifice. This all becomes the means to our fulfilled call to be unified and to walk in humility. Having the mind of Christ, here's what it does. It allows us to subvert the pride and disunity that has become normalized in our sinful society. Having the mind of Christ leads us to participate in what some have called the cruciform life. It's the cross-shaped life. And that is a life of humble service to one another, unified in belief and love and mission. This is the life that we are invited into. And it's difficult, because there's a lot of pressure in the world. But in the midst of that, you have to remember the call that Jesus had for those who would say yes to him. The call to to be like a city on a hill, casting light on the way we ought to walk out this existence. Friends, we are not to gratify the flesh by giving in to division, but we are to glorify God in unity We are not to gratify the flesh through selfish ambition, but to glorify God in humility. Do you wanna know why I think pride and disunity is so easy? It's instant gratification. I mean, just think about it. You find a bunch of people to be mad about the same thing and it instantly just kind of feels good to be part of it. The unfortunate part is when you're actually walking in unity Sometimes there's not a lot of instant gratification, but it's really entering you into a long-term glorification, a long-term formation of who you are. See, the way of the world is instant gratification. What the flesh wants, give the flesh that so you start to feel good. But we restrain that to say, yeah, but what is the way of Jesus? And what is so fascinating about this whole entire text that we read today is getting back to that idea, complete my joy. What if the joy that you are so desperately seeking for has nothing to do with the things that you're trying to gravitate towards in the world and actually happens to be in this room right now? What if your full experience of joy is actually sitting next to you right now? What if as we walk in unity... And we humbly submit to one another and love one another and care for one another and do the really hard work of processing through this together. I'd hate to break it to you, but there's people in this room right now who think differently than you. But what if, instead of finding the other people who think like you about a certain text, And then having the instant gratification of like, yeah, do you imagine that Bill over there? What a moron, like, yes. What if we sat with Bill? And what if we said, okay, let's read this together. And and you feel this way about this, but let let me give you another perspective or let me humble myself enough to hear your perspective. And guess what? The first time you do that, you'll probably walk away and still not see it the same way. But what if you had the audacity to go back to the table and you still submitted and loved one another and you still cared for one another and you still walked with one another? It will not be easy, but it's the way of Jesus. It may not be the most gratifying at times, but is the most glorifying. And that, my friends, is what we have to acknowledge and we have to realize. The way of Jesus is not always going to even make sense to you. The kingdom of God is so upside down. The first shall be last. The last shall be first. Jesus, none of this makes sense. And he goes, I know. But I will empower you for it. And just remind yourself, as much as we think that culture, you know, everything we do is counterculture, what we're really doing when we follow the way of Jesus, we're actually just entering in the way life was always meant to be. That's what Jesus did when he came. He came to show us, "Let, let me, God, take on human form, walk amongst you so that you can see how your human life ought to be lived. And you will not be able to in your own strength, so I will inevitably give myself up on a cross to die for you so that you can receive the free gift of salvation, justification through what he accomplished on the cross, and inevitably the Spirit of God will come to dwell in you, and in that strength and in that power, you will live out a different alternative to the world around you. And church, we have to do it. Enough talking about it, enough tweeting about it, enough musing about it, walk into it. Fight for unity in the church. In the times when you disagree, don't run away. Stay in the room. Stay at the table. Sit in it with each other. And I'm telling you, it will be so stinking uncomfortable sometimes. But we're just going to do it because he told us to. So let's stand to our feet. let's just have a moment before we leave this room to just reflect. Maybe there's some conviction going on in our hearts to sit in it. Let's sing this together.